got a quote today from Jerry Bridges. He writes in the book, The Practice of Godliness. There is a price to godliness, and godliness is never on sale. It never comes cheaply or easily. The verb train, which Paul deliberately chose, implies persevering, painstaking, diligent effort. I think this is a true statement that is something that we as Christians don't often like. Uh, We don't want to admit that there is part of our spiritual life, spiritual growth, that God uh, has placed in our hands uh, the, the degree of growth that occurs. He has given us a certain amount of responsibility to be obedient, to follow, and there are results that come about based on our efforts. We're not saying that ultimately our spiritual growth is in our hands. We don't work for our salvation. God saves us, but our sanctification, and maybe you could say the the rate of sanctification, how quickly we mature, how how far we go in this life, it does appear that God gives a good deal of that to us to practice, to persevere, to apply, to give diligent effort, like this quote says. I think when Paul challenges Timothy to train yourself for godliness, when he uses those examples of the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. He's giving these these examples of people who who have to give intentional, ongoing, patient effort to receive the benefits. And I think in in this life, we do receive benefits as we intentionally apply diligent effort to our spiritual life. What does that mean? Well, practical application to that might be something like um, our Bible study. You can take out one of these read the bible in a year checklist and just check off the the passage every day you can read it without thinking about it and check it off and you'll have read the bible at the end of a year and if you do that you definitely will have some benefits you are going to pick up something even if you're not really thinking about it very diligently but how much more would you gain if you applied intentional effort and spent the time thinking about what you read, considering how this works out in my life, how am I to apply this? How is this to affect my thinking and different issues of life? Uh, That kind of intentional effort takes a little more time. You can't just read it and check it off. You'll actually have to spend some time thinking about it. You may have to spend some time looking something else up to really understand it deeply. Uh, You may want to spend some time meditating on it, really considering how this works out in your life. I think that kind of uh, persevering, diligent effort really does pay off in the long run, and it is what God really wants from us as disciples of Jesus. Today is think about news and culture. One of the things I want to really dwell on today is this idea of, of parents and schools and our children's education. And really what I want to just think about briefly is who is the authority when it comes down to your child's education? Uh, and we could 
go off on tangents and say, what what should you be teaching your child? And I guess I've always come down on the side that my goal ultimately is to raise my children to be disciples of Jesus. And that's more important than that they are able to have a great education and get a really good job, uh, that they really progress in this society. I do think that becoming a disciple of Jesus requires them to study, to apply themselves to their studies, to be able to read and think critically. And I think all those things are important, and that does make them a valuable member of society. But that's a byproduct of pursuing Christ, not the goal. So uh, when we think about what we teach our kids, that certainly comes into play. But who's the authority? Who decides what and how and when we teach our kids? All the different things that they need to be taught. When should they be exposed to the different issues that come up as a child grows, whether it's things like sex education or uh, different issues now that have come up in the world with uh, gender. I mean, these are things that you should talk about with your kids. When? How? Who should do it? Uh, These are questions of authority. And a quick, simple look at authority in the life of a believer gives us, or particularly in a child, gives us four authorities that I think we have to consider, and each one of them has um, a role, has an influence, and has a position, and we need to consider what that is and how they relate to each other. Ultimately, we start at the top with God. God is our ultimate authority. He is the authority for what our kids need to learn, for what kind of person they need to be, and we should submit as parents to His authority in our life And our goal is to help our children to do that as well. So God is the ultimate authority, and as parents, our authority is given by God. So we have authority in our children's life, but it is a God-given authority. It is for us to raise His children, and I think that's how everyone should view their children. They're not my children. They're God's children. He has given me stewardship temporarily to raise them as He would like them raised. So I need to submit my desires and my goals to him and raise his children in the way that he would like. So I do have a role in my kid's life. I am an authority, but my authority is in line with God's. And ultimately, my role, my goal is to use my influence, uh, my time with my kids to point them to God. And I think as I do that, my authority is strengthened. Um, my role in their life is increased, and the value that I have as a parent is increased. I am being obedient to my God-given role as a parent of his children. Uh, The next one that I think is really important, and a lot of times we don't think enough about, is the church. The church has a huge influence in the believer's life, has a huge influence, should have a huge influence in the life of a child. The church is a group of people who have covenanted together to be obedient to what God has to say, and our desire is to encourage each other to grow in Christ's likeness. Um, I think one of the things that we should do more often is to go through the New Testament thinking about all of the one another's. You know, it says love one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another. All of these one another's give us the example of what the relationship in the church should look like. That should include our children, and it should include us teaching our children to practice this as well. Uh, The church also is uh, really involved in teaching the believer and the children 
uh, to understand God's Word and to see how it applies to culture, to life. Um, There are everything from relationships, basic relationships, how they should be conducted, to uh, how an employer should work and how he should relate to his boss, to to, um, issues with finances. Um, All kinds of information are available to us in the Scriptures that the church should help us to understand and help our children to understand. So the church is a a vital part of our children's uh, education, growing up, learning to think critically about issues. And I do think the church probably should be a little more uh, intentional and proactive in thinking about culture and how our kids are being exposed to different issues at schools, particularly in places where there aren't a lot of Christian schools, there aren't a lot of people who are able to homeschool. The church really can support the parents in helping their children to understand what the Bible teaches about different issues that come up in culture. So there you have the most important three authorities in your child's life, God, the parents, and the church. The third one, and this is the one that unfortunately gets the most time as our kids go through their schooling years, is the government, the schools. The schools have a lot of your kids' time. They have their complete attention. They also have the power of peer pressure to to push your kids to think a certain way, to introduce concepts and convince all of the children that this is the way everyone thinks. And the adult in the room often has just unreasonable amounts of authority in your child's life. So they do have some authority. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not authority that is submitted to God in many, many cases, in most cases, I would say, in the world today. Uh, That's unfortunate. If school was submitted to God, then all four of these would be in a line. You have God uh, giving his instruction and the parents, the church, and the school reinforcing what God has to say about life and about culture and about the choices we should make. But what we often have is God, the parents, and the church teaching one thing, and they only have limited amount of time, particularly as parents have poor relationships with their children. So the school has hours and hours, 30, 40 hours a week when you think about school and after-school programs and weekends hanging out with other kids. Uh, The school and that peer group has a tremendous amount of influence and pull on your kids. So when we ask the question, who is the authority in our children's life? Uh, Really, we're asking two questions. It's who should be the authority and who actually is the authority? Uh, And what do we as parents need to be doing to help our children to work through uh, all of this tangle of culture and pressure and decisions that the world throws out them? And I do think that as a parent, part of our goal is to really pursue our children, to really be seeking a really good relationship with them so that we can talk about issues that are real, that are meaningful, uh, that they're going to be faced with in life. So whether you are putting your children in a public school where they're going to come up with some of these things uh, probably well before you're ready, or whether you send them to a Christian school or homeschool where they might not face some questions quite as early. Either way, your children are part of the world today. They're going to be faced with certain questions, and you are the one who should be prepared to help them think through this and point them to Scripture and help teach them how to look to God for answers. So who is the authority? Well, 
as a parent, uh, hopefully, you are an authority who is helping point your children to the authority. Today, I've been remiss. I haven't told you how to find Chloe's music. You can find her at chloejanelle.com. Yes. And if you look on places where you buy music, Spotify, Amazon, uh, iTunes, wherever you find music, look for Chloe Janelle, and she has about eight albums out now. So today she has a new song for us, and it is... Good Enough to Be True. It's Good Enough to Be True. Ha! I look forward to hearing this one. All right. If it's too good to be true, then it is, so they say And you'd better make sure your wallet doesn't fly away Is there anything that is exactly as it seems? Or is the simple truth found only in dreams? Promises kept, prophecies fulfilled Humanity saved as God always willed Hope for the many instead of the few This is good enough, good enough to be But indescribably complex and wonderfully grand Will you take him at his word? Why do you still doubt? Look at all he's done, his love is calling out Promises kept, prophecies fulfilled Humanity saved as God always willed Hope for the many instead of the few This is good enough, good enough to be Prophecies fulfilled, humanity saved as God always willed. Hope for the many instead of the few. This is good enough, good enough to be true. This is good enough, good enough to be true. This is good enough, good enough to be Great. So can you tell us what you're thinking when you wrote this song or why you wrote it? Well, I kind of took the phrase, it's too good to be true, and was thinking about it. Like, well, with God, it seems too good to be true that we don't have to do anything. It's grace that saves us, that there's nothing that we can do, but he loves us anyway. You know, that sounds too good to be true, but it's not. So this is good enough to be true. Great. Thank you for sharing with us. Today in Living Theology, I just briefly want to look at Jesus and three roles that he fills. Uh, these are all Old Testament roles that Jesus perfectly accomplishes. In some cases, uh, he completes that role. 
What am I talking about? The first one is the prophet. What did the prophet do in the Old Testament? What was his purpose? Well, the prophet in the Old Testament primarily brought God's message to God's people. He occasionally brought God's God's message to people who were not God's people, whether it was judgment like uh, Jonah to the city of Nineveh or warnings. I guess maybe Jonah to the city of Nineveh was more of a warning. He brought uh, messages of judgment to Assyria and Babylon and uh, different enemies of Israel. But the prophet brought message from God. And Jesus fulfilled that role. Uh, He uh, is and was a prophet. He brought God's message to God's people. He also brought God's message to the world. And as a message of, of salvation and reconciliation and hope and the kingdom. In the Old Testament, another uh, role that you see that's really super important is the role of the priest. Now, the priest served a similar role to the prophet sometimes, where they did bring uh, God's word to the people. They also represented the people before God, uh, brought the people's request to God. And another major role that really is the one we want to... Um, really recognize, this is super important, is that the priest offered sacrifices for the people, for sin. And Jesus did both of these. He does represent us to God. But uh, the role that really places us uh, in God's good graces is that Jesus offered the sacrifice for sin once and for all time. He was the perfect priest who offered the perfect sacrifice. Um, So in that role... He completed all of the work that the Old, Old Testament priests were, were doing. They offered continual daily sacrifices for God's people. Well, Jesus offered that perfect sacrifice and fulfilled that role, and then the priest is no longer needed. He also offers, in his third role, uh, leadership. Jesus is the promised king, uh, the line of David was promised a king for eternity, and that ultimately will be fulfilled in Jesus. He hasn't completely taken this role yet. He's not taken the final leadership, the final uh, authority, but it is his role. And he came in preaching the kingdom on earth, and ultimately in eternity he will fulfill that role as the promised eternal king in the line of David. So how do we think about these roles and what does it mean to us today? Well, all of these should ultimately give us great cause for thanksgiving and praise. Jesus brought God's message of hope, which we desperately needed. As the priest, he brought the sacrifice that gave us the opportunity to be reconciled with God. As the king, he brings us the leadership that we desperately need. Uh, He is king. He is Lord. He is Savior. Uh, He offers different values to us, different things to us, based on which of these roles you're considering. The message of God, the hope of the priest, the sacrifice, or uh, the leadership that the king brings. And there are many things that might be attached to that, uh, to, to those different roles. As an example, the king often is thought of as the one who is the protector of the people. Well, definitely Jesus fulfilled that role as well. This is just a a minimal 
view of Jesus in these three roles. But as you read through the New Testament, I encourage you to consider, as you read through Hebrews and read about Jesus as the perfect priest, uh, and you read about these different roles, to consider uh, how the Old Testament role was fulfilled and how it, how the people who filled it were imperfect. Whether it was a prophet, a priest, or a king in the Old Testament, they were all roles that were filled by people who were imperfect, who sinned. You know, the priest needed to offer sacrifices for his own sin. Jesus did not need to do that. The Old Testament kings uh, were selfish and had their own goals and motivations and uh, often led the children of Israel astray. Jesus, as king, does not do that. Uh, he leads perfectly and down the perfect path to fall to follow uh, God's will. So consider these roles as you read through the New Testament, and it will help you to understand a little more how much we have to be thankful for uh, for Jesus and how much more that he accomplished than we often think about. We often only see what he did on the cross, um, and that is vitally important to look at what he did on the cross and see how that is part of his role as the prophet, the priest, and the king, how that gave him the right to be the king, how that fulfilled his role as the prophet, and how that he was the word of God, bringing a message of hope and reconciliation to God's people. 